Hello, hello, and welcome back to Ideological Obscure, everybody. It's, you know, it's your host, Thomas. And we're back, finally, after a month. I'm so sorry. But the thing is, is that we've had a bunch of academic stuff that we had to deal with. We have essays, exams, whatnot, uh, trying... Theses. theses. They call them theses? I don't know. You're the native... Why not thesi? I don't know. You're the native English speaker. Fuck you, I'm man. <laughs> but hey, everybody, we're back. Um, and we're going to be hitting the ground running. It's a summer now. Uh, it's going to be hot out. And you're going to get your our podcast on, you know. We're going to go out there, we're going to go full ham. I mean, and, and if you're in the Netherlands, then it's a perfect in-house listening activity because the weather is horrifying. It's always horrifying. It's always horrifying. But yes, folks, I've got great news for you. Today, I'm going to be introducing a new member to our team, um, an unfortunate victim, uh, to say, uh, our own very homegrown Tradcast. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The part is correct. Links to the worst people on the internet. No, but I'm so. Let me rephrase that. He's he's actually worse than a trad Catholic. He's a liberal Catholic. It's like gay rights or something. That is true. That is great. That's rephrase. I'll rephrase my own rephrasing. Yes, but yes, they are not the worst people on the internet. I believe we're here to talk about the worst people on the internet. I think there's two of them. Yes, my friend. This is we're gonna. You're gonna see a lot more worse people if, if you think this is the bottom of the barrel. Oh God, yeah. it's gonna get worse. But yes, welcome to welcome Elliot. Hello, hey everybody. Yeah, my name is Elliot. I'm uh, this podcast's uh, token Münchner guest, which means that I'm gonna be here. I assume to talk about Nazis. Yeah, and was... and be able to pronounce German words correctly. Oh well, that's a, uh, correctly is a strong word. <laughs> but yes, today is going to be ecofascism. Environment-friendly fascism. Yeah, environmentally-friendly fascism. If you think uh, green capitalism is bad, wait till you see uh, people who cover themselves in green, but also say that they don't like people of different colors. Wow. Yes. That's very profound, Tom. Oh, I thank you. Because if you, I think, always... if you think about it, it's in green a color. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly. Oh my green, god! Like a natural pigment of it, it's a race. If, if you're if you're against green people, that's racist, and you're getting canceled. But yes, we're pro cancel. We're pro cancel culture. Um, we make sure that everybody gets canceled. But yes, we are going to jump right in. And like any good thing or any bad thing, it always has a beginning. Uh, and Elliot, tell us how does this awful, terrible thing begin? All right. Well. Is there a chance that it began in Germany? It did, like like, like any good thing. <laughs> also, like it began in the in the beautiful, beautiful country of Germany, uh, which has a uh, spotted history of some uh, very nice and uh, horribly braved uh, ideologists. Spotted yeah, spotted well, history is a very interesting term. Yeah. <laughs> it, has, it has a bit of blemish on its history. Yeah, yeah. A bit of a blemish. It's a blemish history, you know. A bit of a blemish, yeah. Yes. Land der Dichter und Denker. And das Land der Richtung. Listen, I don't know what the McDonald's does. <laughs> Sorry, I don't speak McDonald. <laughs> the land of- I, don't, I don't speak burger, <laughs> Mushiner. <laughs> Five minutes, am I ready? Don't worry, listen. Don't worry, we're, we're in a very high building with a window right there. Defenestration is a possibility. All right, well, anyway, we're here to talk about the origins of ecofascism. And so... One thing that you guys will both want to know, again, I, I was I was asked here because I, I could bring an angle of, of knowing something about the Nazis. 
Um, Ecofascism and Nazism emerged from the same uh, terrible ideological soil, uh, which was the Fogish movement of the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Well, fascism has deep historic roots, right? It does, yeah, but I'm specifically talking about the sort of nationalist socialist quote-unquote brand of fascism. And ecofascism, you know, had a very similar strain from this. It would yeah, no, I'm saying this to just, like, not put all the blame on Germany, you know? Uh, well, it does have historic you know, roots. You know what, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, glad it's, it's, I'm glad it's spread out. Um, so this movement, uh, the, the Fogish movement, was, was a syncretic hodgepodge of ideas like scientific racism and Romance period nationalism, uh, but it also featured ideas that were almost uh, agrarian in nature. Uh, agrarian as in like it's based on the countryside. Yeah, the, com- the, the sort of uh, forgotten glory of, of the countryside and, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the farmers, you know, the people of the land, um, uh, and these sort of small Germanic communities. Uh, this, idea, uh, this, I- this ideology saw um, these small Germanic rural communities, uh, which, you know, farmed for a living, they were agrarian, um, as the DNA of the Volkskörper, or a racial body. Um, and, and what this movement wanted was this body to, to come into being in a, a national rebirth uh, that sort of quote-unquote Germanified and uh, de-Christianized Germany. And this is where a lot of early environmentalists and a lot of early fascists melded their ideology. And the two were often quite indistinguishable in, in sort of pre-World War II Germany. And you'll like, learn... what do you mean by environmentalists? Because I don't think in this instance they're talking about nature conservation. Well, they actually are, but they're very distinct from environmentalists as we would understand them, right? You know, the, the environmentalism is still a strong movement in Germany today, but it's, you know, it, it's a much nicer movement. It's a much nicer it's movement. Much nicer movement. Much, much less racism. And, and... Yes, my favorite racist, Annalena Baerbock. I, 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 I love her uh, so much, except when she's saying the hours. <laughs> she did see the hours. <laughs> So maybe maybe it's not as uh, as far as we thought. Uh, the uh, I feel like it's a prerequisite for a politician nowadays. Oh, yeah. yeah. But anyway, to, to answer Aaron's question, no, I'm not talking about um, environmentalists like uh, the modern day uh, modern day Greens. I'm talking about uh, these sort of proto eco fascist philosophers such as uh, Moritz Amt and Wilhelm Riebe. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, they were these uh, writers, both in sort of the Germanic uh, nationalistic movements uh, and in the environmentalist movements. Uh, uh, Moritz Arndt uh, wrote the uh, the lovely sounding uh, treatise with some horrible implications called On the Conservation of Forests. Um, sounds nice. Sounds yeah, very innocent. It, it sounds nice, but he's a, he's a raging anti-Semite. Um, and so, <laughs> <laughs> it was a long period, you know? These two things are more linked than you think, by the way. Oh, yeah. Anti-Semitism of forests and disliking Jewish I mean, people. anti-Semitism and anything is linked like peanut butter and jelly, so like, I'm not being surprised. I'm going to take the Jewish man's experience on that as, yes. as, as an indicator. Uh, anyway, so these two wrote some of the founding treatises that would later become the Fogish movement, and their writings on uh, the beauty of the wilderness and forests, um, you know, sort of tendrilled its way into this agrarian, anti-urban, and, and very, very racist uh, philosophy that sought to preserve... Wait, nature. what do you mean urban, like, rural communities are racist? <laughs> that was shocker. <laughs> she affirmed a uh, kind comment on that. Elliot um, remains impartial on no, the treaty. No, no, no comment, Senator. <laughs> Remain a very partial, very partial uh, against racism. I'll, I'll keep it that. Way. Yeah, racism is kind of bad. Actually. Yeah, actually, it's yeah, it's a very novel idea. It's great, I know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this, this philosophy sought to preserve nature uh, only as a broader project to quote unquote uh, keep Germany German. Now, Germany didn't really exist at this time. It was a collection, you know, of these uh, of these various states. Yeah, it was back during like the Prince when you had like this deteriorated form of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, a little bit beyond that because we're in the, yeah. we're getting into the mid late nineteenth century. But it was sort of the idea of the idea of Germany was really sort of coming together. Yeah, with German nationalism, exactly. after, and that's that's yeah. the uh, philosophical tradition that these guys found themselves in. 
and then they immediately made it uh, way worse. Uh, they basically saw the rural peasantry in the wilderness as the only parts of Germany uh, free from the uh, free from the Germanic region's sizable Jewish minority, which thrived, uh, which not only survived but thrived in cities like Berlin, Hamburg, Frankfurt, and uh, Liberia. Yeah, because after the revolution of of eighteen forty eight, there was more people were more willing to like you know work allow uh, Jewish people into society, and that's where you see a lot of like Jewish talent coming into like these sectors of journalism, banking, whatnot. And like banking was traditionally dominated by Jews. Yes. Yeah, like artistry and all that. Yeah, because of like, they wanted to, because they could avoid usury. Yeah, they wanted to, yeah. But I think. Yeah, thanks, thanks Catholicism. No, <laughs> joking. Germany, my favorite Catholic country. <laughs> <laughs> and when it comes to various Christian denominations, we all have a role to play there. And I think. We do, yeah. I mean, us Protestants, we were the ones that supported Hitler the most. Yeah, that, well, I, I will, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into that, yes. We're jumping ahead. So with. So with this um, rise of German nationalism, they yep. begin to see like the real Volk, the real people. Yeah, this sort of this idea of the Volkish movement, you know, praised uh, not only sort of a quote unquote, you know, authentic whatever that means, uh, Germanic communities in yeah. these small, you know, rural areas, but sort of as a as the antithesis uh, to the sort of spreading urbanism, which was also shared by the Nazis. Yeah. Um, and again, this was this was primarily anti-Semitic in nature, right? This anti-urbanism uh, wasn't just, although it was also partially a uh, rejection of the city. Yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, very much uh, anti-Semitic. And I think if you want to learn more about this, uh, Neil McGregor's uh, Germany: Memories of a Nation is a great introduction into all sort of uh, into all things yes. Germany. We'll put all the yeah. we'll put all our sources if you want to read them. Uh, required <laughs> readings in the description class. Sure. <laughs> Look at read the syllabus. Read the <laughs> syllabus. That you can only that you can only buy at the university for an upsell price. <laughs> and and for what it's worth, I'm going to be taking a lot here from Peter Staubmeier. So I think if if you read if you're reading through that paper and you say, hey, wait a second, this is similar to that one podcast I listened to, then there you go. Uh, yeah. Myers, fascist, fascist ecology is going to be yes. is going to be cited pretty heavily here. So this is sort of the very beginnings of the movement that spawned both fascism and ecofascism specifically, uh, and Nazism. Right, uh, fascism obviously was was its own thing that developed uh, more or less independently, but the the Germanic uh, toxic brand, even more toxic brand, yeah. of fascism uh, as related to the environment uh, came up here. Yes, uh, and this uh, was sort of kept alive in the 20th century uh, by. Uh, Philosophers uh, like uh, Ludwig Klages, who would sort of rail against. Aaron's wearing a. Aaron's wearing. We're doing visual gags for this. Aaron's wearing. Podcast. I'm doing visual gags for our lovely team members. Aaron's wearing uh, my, my my the the Kemalist cap that he got for me when he went back to Turkey. Yeah. Fantastic. It, it fits. Doesn't fit my head, and it doesn't fit his. I mean, it's not meant to be because, like. It's not about aesthetics. It's about the idea. Yeah. yeah. Wow, man. The idea of the hat. Yeah. The idea of the yeah. hat. The optimal. Yeah. Glad that we can talk about ideologies. I think that should be your next podcast. Exactly. Yeah. It's so going to be just like a four, 40 hour description of every single hat in ideological history. But don't post the hats in the thumbnail. So just let people guess what the hat is. Exactly. It's a fun game. It's interactive. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. We were talking about eco fascism. So where are we? So we're. Struggling to so we're in, way through the hats. Be more so, <laughs> so we are shock your way through it. So, so for our for our listeners who don't like chaos, uh, hey babe, um, <laughs> ecofascism came out of the idea of uh, as it kind of like an eludic anti-industrial period, uh, in which like they saw a romantic idea of the German countryside as uncorrupted from the degenerate and 
Jewish-influenced uh, urban areas that were arising in this new Germany and saw that... I saw that they were way more fun than the forest. They were like, yeah. ah, fuck! <laughs> so fun over there! God, they have great, they have great food! Yes, great! Beautiful buildings! Yes, great food in Germany. And this I'm was... Sure the, you'd be surprised. And, and, and this developed during the period of, like, the 19th century with the rise of German nationalism yep. when Germany's didn't actually exist. It was yeah. a bunch of princely states like Prussia, Bavaria. Like, and then, the creation of a German nation was spearheaded ex- by like the Prussian identity. Exactly. It was a Germanic region, yeah. And then as as you crawl towards, you know, 1870 and the and the wars, right, of German reunification where Bismarck, oh, you know, where Bismarck uh, Why are you moving know, the table? I'm not moving the Okay. And then as you sort of crawled through uh, the, the the late nineteenth century, you know, with the uh, with, towards 1871, wars of German unification, right? And then Germany went from an idea and a region to a thing. Yeah. Um, you sort of see uh, this ideology carry through uh, up into and past World War One, uh, more in the background, right? More in the background of the sort of just general brands of German nationalism still deeply infested with anti-Semitism. Yes. Uh, in the twentieth century, uh, youth movements of the Weimar Republic did a great deal. Uh, to keep the toxic flame of eco-fascism alive, and philosophers like Ludwig Klages, who, uh, while he wasn't a Nazi, would you know greatly inspire the Nazis, uh, which is you know not a not a great thing to not a great thing to happen. You would say. Yeah, it's just like oh, what did you, so what? Explain this this gap. Oh yes, I was in jail for supporting the Nazi party. <laughs> why were, why did you spend the whole time in Switzerland under an assumed name? Nothing. <laughs> uh, it was for uh, personal uh, work. Yeah, it was an Erasmus Exchange project. Exactly. <laughs> it was. I was. I was doing a. I was doing a podcast. Railed against this environmental destruction that he saw wreaked by capitalism, uh, and you know, sort of a was a was a greatly cited uh, by you know up until even the eighties, right? You know, a cited uh, environmentalist. Uh, but he was also uh, an arch conservative and a massive anti-Semite. Wow, so, shocker. <laughs> what am I arch conservative? Do you mean like reactionary or do you mean just someone who hates Jews very much? I mean or both. I mean both. The he basically saw again, you know, the you can see sort of consistently there's a theme here, right? Which yeah. we'll go into as we go into uh, sort of the beginning of Nazism, right, where this sort of peters out, and then we'll go into, uh, I believe Thomas has a section on modern eco-fascism. Yes, right? yes. So, basically, again, um, the connection between environmentalism and fascism uh, environmentalism and fascism can be seen over and over again. Uh, even Martin Heidegger, who's the only famous philosopher who I've actually brought up at this point, uh, his idea of authentic being um, was deeply, deeply tied to these sort of communities, right? You know, this agrarian in yeah. nature, you know. Um, uh, rural, anti-industrial, and uh, very Germanic. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that that on itself doesn't necessarily seem, you know, you're like, all right, well, you know, he doesn't want to live in the city. Yeah, it just sounds like Luddism. Side. You know, I, I personally love the German forests. I like living there, and I don't always like spending my time in the cities. Uh, the difference between me and Heidegger is that he was a huge supporter of the Nazi party. Ah, great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a that's a pretty that's it's a, pretty, it's a difference. It's, it's a difference. It's a, difference. Sizable, it's a yeah. very stark contrast. Yeah, yeah. It's a stark contrast. So so anyway, so fascistic and Polish ideas had so permeated environmentalism in the Weimar Republic that even the proclamation of the League for the Protection and Consecration of the German Forests <laughs> began with a twenty minute long rant about how the German forests were key to the pure richness, stillness, <laughs> and beauty of the German <laughs> soul. The, the racial soul. It's insane. And I won't read it here because it's it's fucking crazy. Uh, but I think Stabenmeier put it best when he said, the mystical description of the sacred forest fused together nationalism and naturalism. And that's where we get the very beginnings. And then with that, the Nazis. Dun, dun, dun! Stabenmeier described them as having a religion of nature. Right, you know, the Nazis, sort of like the Folkish movement, uh, they weren't, uh, they, 
had more of a synthesis in the sense of uh, they weren't going to be as explicitly anti-Christian as the uh, folkish movement, but they yeah. they weren't in fans of the movement. Because the folkish movement like saw a romantic idea they, of like they were, you know, the pagans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sort of saw uh, not any sort of pagan real beliefs per se, but more sort of in the glory of a of a non quote unquote Semitic religion. Yeah, um, I mean they view, and also this goes back to the uh, the, the uh, Nietzschean idea of uh, that Christianity is a. Uh, is a is a is a slave's religion of of sklaven moral. Yeah, um, Nietzsche also some, some suspicious accusations of anti-Semitism. The, uh, wow, shocker! It's like Elliot, 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 running through this. Elliot, place. you're canceling. Why are you canceling everybody? Oh, you're just canceling them. That's right. I told left, you. Right. I, See, I kept thinking about the reason why Hitler was influenced by Nietzsche, and now I understand. Wow, it's, it's almost like. <laughs> It's almost like you read him. Wow, I, I, I don't think he did, dude. No, I, really? I don't think he can read. He can read. He can, well, he can barely write. Have you, I mean, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be quoting from Mein Kampf if you, if you need to evidence the fact that the man can <laughs> <laughs> First time I've said that in my entire He was <laughs> malnourished. Hopefully, he was dumb from the start. <laughs> Guys, this is a great podcast to show to like anyone you're flirting with. Just say, I listen to these, these, uh, these cool guys that talk about political ideologies. <laughs> hey, girl, I read Mein yes. Kampf. <laughs> Oh, I read Mein Kampf from a critical lens, girl. <laughs> is there another from which to read it? I have Nazis. I don't think Nazis read Mein Kampf. There's a sympathetic and the critical lens. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, yes. True yeah, gender. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah, so we get the I will hold that they don't read it. Yes, and like... So they had this religion of nature. Stuff. Yes. And they took this fuckish idea of small agrarian, racial, racially homogenous societies. Small town America, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a small town girl. That song has roots in eco-fashion. <laughs> so, the Nazis had, as I said, this religion of nature. They took this folkish idea of small agrarian, racially homogenous societies and turned it up to 11 uh, by incorporating the idea that nature must be superior to humankind and that human society, if it wants to thrive, must adhere to the natural law of natural selection, Damn. which uh, they were going to do themselves uh, through the most horrific means known to humankind. Yeah, so they were like social Darwinists. Then. In many ways, yes. Yeah. And I think I, this yeah. is sort of like this is a huge oversimplification. Again, you know, if you, it, the classic on this is Hannah Arendt's "The Origins of Totalitarianism," that's where you'll get all the philosophical, you know, origins of how the Nazis saw their mission to uh, just kill fucking millions. They, Did, they were insane. But I, I, w- I want to come back to a point that you made, in which like they were saying that humanity must that. That uh, nature must be superior to humanity. I find that very interesting because it relates to the current idea of uh, that we'll get into later of a uh, deep ecology. Uh, but yes, we'll talk about that more. But this will come up again. And so this is sort of you know uh, in a sentence that no human should ever say. Uh, that idea was uh, best described uh, by uh, Adolf Hitler. Run in mind back. Uh, again, you know, and I, I don't remember really quite. We're, we're not Nazis, just to yeah, be clear. Just, it's not. Uh, when people attempt to rebel against the iron logic of nature, uh, they come into conflict with the very same principles to which they uh, owe their existence as humans and that their actions against nature must lead to their own downfall. 
he probably uh, didn't think that the Iron Law of Nature involved two very ethnically heterogeneous nations kicking Germany's ass. But hey, he himself. eat shit! Yeah, the Nazis, to sort of wrap this bit up, because I think when it comes to talking about it in practice, yeah, they tried to put blood and soil into practice, but I think going... They going put they put it, trees into the soil and made them look like a swastika. Yes, in the, in the Black Forest. It's yeah. really, it's Wait, really what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they planted, um, and you only discovered it years and years and years later, basically, from an airplane. In, in Baden-Württemberg, there's these... And sort of the very famous uh, Black Forest, right? You know, with the, with the cave. Yeah, I know, the, um, I know the Black Forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had, um, they planted trees so that, and, and I believe there, it, was, it was in a, it was a, I don't know if it was a non-deciduous forest and then they were deciduous trees so they would change color. I knew they were, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I think it was an evergreen forest. It was an, yeah, evergreen forest and deciduous trees. Yeah, so that means they would change colors. So basically, in autumn, all of a sudden, pretty recently, I think like 2011 or 2013, yeah. they were like, oh my god, there is a swastika in the middle of the Black Forest. <laughs> <laughs> Hans, Hans, what is that? <laughs> it's like, yeah. They genetically altered trees so that they would look like swastikas. Even, even, even worse, the French stoppers, they were like, hmm, care to, care to explain? Do you want to begin? I'm, I'm suspicious. I, we apologize for one French listener. <laughs> but, oh my god! Well, I mean, yeah, I know it's crazy. Horrifying. It, it is, yeah. So, so basically, they they took these environmentalist ideals into uh, their genocidal war with Eastern European bloodlands uh, over the next decades. Um, Himmler wrote uh, the peasant of their racial stock again, sort of going back to this idea of the ethnic, you know, uh, whatever homogeneity and. Uh, this sort of small communities uh, has always carefully endeavored to increase the natural power of the soil, plants, and animals, and to preserve the balance of the whole of nature. Uh, and so, firstly, he had to kill all of Poland because he was uh, humanity's most evil creature. Uh, and that's uh, and that is sort of uh, you can see through these quotes how the focus ideas of agrarianism were deeply tied into uh, Nazi fascism, and I think that is. Your best introduction, uh, not by me necessarily, but by uh, by these authors to um, how ecofascism began, uh, deeply rooted in Nazism. And with that, yes. All right. So after Nazi Germany got their ass uh, kicked in World War II and were completely fucking obliterated, uh, Nazism never came up again. And this is actually this is where our episode ends. That's really Eco- great. Ecofascism. Yay! I'm, I'm really happy to hear that because I was just like seeing all these quotes and I was like, wow, these people are psychos. I really am glad that no one ever took these ideas and thought they were good. I'm really that. glad denazification was successful in yeah. mid countries like Austria. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm, I am really, really happy that that there were no problems ever again with Nazism. <laughs> everyone was no, everyone stopped being racist. Yeah. Uh, people were hugging each other, black, white, Jewish. Borders were abolished. Borders were abolished. And, and, and at home, and there were no problems ever again. Yeah. I, I never had to see as a kid, you know, Pegida marches. You know, that, that never happened. Yeah. I never, I never had to, you know. I never had to see uh, far, uh, far right marches in my own state as well. Yeah. I mean, was visiting your own state. Church. Yeah. No, I no terrible things associated. Oh, no, no, nothing bad. Nothing bad. Oh wait, guys, I, I I've seen something. Oh no! Oh no! It came back! Wait, it came back! Oh no! Oh my god! Oh, oh no! no. Is this terrible? terrible? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so some terrible. Oh, it's terrible. 
Oh, my God, man. I'm, I'm going to need some alcohol. So we've read the entire Wikipedia page of, of, of neo-fascism, uh, uh, and, and we found some things out. So, after... After World War II and later on, especially with the rise of the internet and even a bit before that, there was a rediscovery of old Nazi th themes in organic agriculture and animal rights while articulating novel right-wing interpretations of concepts of biodiversity, anti-capitalism, decentralism, deep ecology, bioregionalism, and indigenism. And what has happened is that there's been this cross-pollination. I'm not sure how you, you, equally distributed it was. Alright, is a big fan of cross-pollination. Well, exactly. <laughs> Ironically, yes. There's a cross-pollination of ideas between the left and the right, um, and even in some cases, collaboration. Are you, are you saying that, that there might be a shape of politics that looks kind of like a shoe you would put on a horse? And that sometimes the left and the right, you know, can come together. This, on this is things. this is where this is legitimately what, what we talked about in like episode one with national bolshevism. But it's more but it's less even it's less even ideologically sincere. It's often actually someone just uh, converts to one ideology to the other. Yeah, that was uh, sort of Beauvoir's idea of of, of the. Uh, she used a terrible word for it, but Beauvoir's idea of, of the subman, the person who's sort of like the jump, yeah, it's a really bad word. The person, who, <laughs> the person who sort of like hides behind these ideologies, you know, rather than trying to authentically develop their own personality. Yeah, like just like slide to the left, slide to the right, take it back now, y'all. One day, one day an anarchist, the next day a communist, the next day a fascist, you know, just sort of... So it's literally every Redditor nowadays. Like, you, the people who... Every 15-year-old Redditor. Or, 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 or arguably. Everyone yeah, and that's our target audience. Or, or, What's up, guys? <laughs> I was going to say, I don't want to ruin your... your, your uh, I don't want to ruin your podcast about Pesadism, but, like, anyone who has ever subscribed to any of these ideologies is probably... Pesadism, I, I think I give it some credit. Alien Right. Yeah, they're the aliens. So, like we we learned that aliens weren't as prominent as it is conventionally thought. Okay. It, it's the aliens and the new clones. Yes, both of those. Okay. Yes, I yes. Heard, I heard about that because I was I was go listen to episode six. I, I mean, I'm your I'm your guys' friend, so I, I hear when you're researching and you mention uh -huh. these things. To me, Thank you, and uh, and I'm horrified often. Yes, now to horrify you some more. And violent mentalism, so ecofascism in the post-war period really started up in the United States. Um, oh, wow, look at that. And, oh, shocker. And this is where... That's the only American in the podcast. <laughs> Shut up! She's American, too! <laughs> so, one thing about American politics is that environmentalism is a very divisive issue. In America, is a place where you can believe that, that global warming is happening, or not. And that's an acceptable op political opinion. Um, and most... People on the right in America believe that environmentalism is all this liberal or socialist hogwash. In fact, the actual eco-fascists are people like AOC or Greta Thunberg who want to force you, feed you uh, bugs and uh, you can't drive your diesel truck anymore uh, because driving some European stuff is going to make you gay. And that is, makes you un-American. Exactly. Communist, gay, European. What are the, what are the bugs? Bugs. What are the bugs? Oh, it's this whole like great reset kind of thing of like where people instead of in, instead of using the same amount of like resources that it takes to like make it to like not make a cow, I, I feed a cow. I, I, does that mean does that make me a communist? Yes. Yes. Oh, also oh, wow. for other reasons. But the thing is, basically, there are, there are some news articles which are like 
Did you know if you eat three bugs, it's going to have the same amount of protein as one piece of steak? So, I mean, like, uh, people theorize that, like, it's the whole globalist liberal agenda. To yeah, that's me. By the globalist liberal. Yeah, okay. Oh, God. It's well, so cool. Ladies and so cool. gentlemen, please welcome our World Economic Forum uh, representative. Yes. <laughs> but, but snacks will the game. No, it's not me. Shut up, Elliot. <laughs> so, getting back to American politics um, and something that isn't divisive, most people on the right are have this reflexive and a pro-business and an anti-environmentalist uh, view uh, that's pretty dominant in mainstream conservatism nowadays. It's starting to change a little bit thanks to Trump. Um, and it's basically this idea that, you know, if you invest in environment, that it's, uh, global warming is a sham or something like that or used to government control or that it's going to – or environmental uh, protections and uh, environmental regulations are going to be a, a damper on um, on business growth and you know capitalism. We all love capitalism. Um, however, there's been this new there's been this rise of an insurgent character of the alt right that we've seen in recent years, particularly um, after in in like the late mid to late uh, 2010s, in which people on the far right have actually become more receptive to ideas, and this is most likely due to millennials and Zoomer alt writers. Uh, having grown up around environmental discourse and seeing the un unavoidable reality of climate change and environmental collapse, um, and have actually become more and more uh, pro-environment and believe like, yeah, we should actually maybe do something. However, what the way they want to do it that's is very really different. Stance. That's a really brave stance in your tone. This is th these are some. This is this is a portion of. It. And I mean, their methods, are, as you will say in a few minutes, are vastly different than those yeah. globalist communists. Exactly. So, additionally. These the, the far right. This is and also this is something because of the left and the liberals. The predominantly white demographic makeup of the environmental movement makes it very attractive for the alt right. Um, and the other thing is is that it has that they've been able to reclaim previously taboo political traditions like fascism, which opens a flood the floodgates to all these wacky ideologies that this podcast covers, and. The real thing that this was facilitated by was from the far right and far right and ecologists of Ernst Heikel, uh, the the racialist who supported in evolutionary polygenism, which is the idea that different races around the world uh, arose differently. We didn't arise from the one human race, but from separate ones. And was a social Darwinist who coined the term ecology. Wow! Yes, this guy coined the term ecology, and so. This is where we get into the world of racist Captain Planet. Protect the environment or he kills you. Or if you're a minority, he still kills you. <laughs> exactly. This no, we will get into this. I mean, that that seems if you look at the, the use of resources. I'm getting sweaty. Yeah, it is it is kinda hot. But I open like Yeah, yeah, was, yeah there, there, might, there might be some background noise. Uh, it's gonna be the serene songs of rain will be fine. Yeah. This is it's now an ASMR podcast. Ugh. Another factor is the intellectual bent of the far right, as we know. As we know. Okay, sorry. Let me rephrase that. Intellectual and far right. Let me, let me say, like bit, wait. Hold on. Let me just rephrase that. So, the actual aspect of ecofascism, unlike most uh, fascists, well, up until recently, this is a debatable thing that I kind of disagree with. Is that ecofascism is that there is an intellectual part of the alt right and of ecofascism. With, with quotes around intellectual. Intellectual, as yeah. in, like, there are, there are a lot of people who advocate for these ideas but will sit behind a computer or, like, read and write and not do anything. 
Like a lot That's of what I do too, but I'm not a fascist. Yeah, but I mean it's also a thing that's shared on the left. It's the ideological cross pollination. And doing nothing. Yeah, exactly. Great. I'm glad to see there's some left right cooperation <laughs> on that. <laughs> right but, notion of laziness has been crafted onto left. Well, as long as they leave us central left people to run the world, I'm happy with it. So as his political vision centers on the allegedly natural, in quotations, uh, condition of, of human equality, that of different races or have different skills or are superior or inferior to each other, there's a resurgence in the interest of right-wing nature philosophy. And there's a lot of strange, uh, everything from esoteric, mystical, quasi-fascist anarchism. There are anarcho-fascists that we will cover eventually. I am I am not joking with you. They it is actual. Polar opposites. I well, no, actually, I, I don't want to burst the bubble there, but I think that, that does kind of make sense if you think about what fascism is at its core. The state is like often like attributed as an important element of it, but really it, it's about uh, less in Italy and more in sort of more you know uh, infamous German fascism. I disagree. It, it really is about the whole idea of like of, of the of the racial hierarchy. That, that that is the it's mostly about unity. But you need but you need a but you need a strong state in order to do this. Otherwise, you have just a racist uh, lynch mob, which I guess is. Equal. I mean, there were genocide didn't you know need? I mean, it it it. Yeah. it, it adopted some state institutions, but fascism is sort of inherently a, a risk regardless of its ability to take over um, state capacity. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's a fair point. And so these are all important currents within the movement, especially uh, its ecological wing. And outright media outlets um, such as Countercurrents or Arctos um, predominantly feature European right-wing ecologists like Savitri Devi, actually not her real name. She's a whole character that we'll have to cover on like a lot of characters here that are going to be ones that we'll cover in up other episodes. Nice. So stay tuned. I know I keep teasing you guys. Uh, Tory South, uh, Troy Southgate. I almost said Tory, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Penti Alincola alongside the mystical mystical fascists like Julia Savola. And since contemporary envi environmental activism is is overwhelmingly liberal and leftist in orientation, they already call it. Uh, ecology is, pr is primarily intellectual or metapolitical in nature. This means that they sit behind a computer doing nothing, though uh, this has changed in recent years. I wish you could stick with it. Like, yeah. uh, I wish they yeah. just kept those staring Fellas, at the Please, I'll let you use metapolitical without being a dick about it. Just, I, don't, just, I don't even know what metapolitical means. Above the political. No, no, meta is within. No, meta is above and No, it's not. It's, it's metaphysics isn't like within physics it's sort of like above and, and like but, but you have, when, when you're saying meta it's, it's it's like within something that's no. always why i understood it as no no meta is meta is like above oh, okay so, well, so, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll cut this part yeah it's okay um i look like a, okay, i can't have the host look like an idiot no i'm kidding <laughs> so you need to cut the entire episode we're keeping that in we're keeping that in following and, and these guys follow what's called a neo gramscian strategy which is um for us students yeah you want to tell us Aaron? uh i haven't actually read gramsci but like gramsci but i think they're talking about hegemony yeah and how there is this like dominant class and yeah. this like, coalition of different interests used to suppress the proletariat 
Yeah, and you got like the different ideas and stuff like that, like yeah, hegemonic exactly. ideas yep. of society and counter hegemonic ones. And, and they have discursive strategies to like enforce these ideas and all that yes, and mobilize them. Yeah, exactly. So they use these counter hegemonic ideas to go against that hege- hegemony uh, that it, that permeates throughout society with everything from ideas how you perceive the world and yada yada. And this was a strategy used by the French Nouvelle Droit. Uh, that seeks to shift the cultural and intellectual landscape towards a receptivity in right-wing politics. And this has actually been successful in recent years um, on the internet, particularly. As as you and I have talked about in the only other times we've done podcasts. Exactly. Uh, we've done other podcasts, yes. Yeah, the uh, internet has been both good and bad for the dissemination of ideas. Yes. Well, the main the main progenitor of like these ideas are message boards. Say, in terms of political developments, it's pretty much just been bad. I don't, I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but I can't think of any, like, amazing political movements that came about because of the internet. Yeah, the BLM. Okay, fair enough. And, and, and the Arab Spring. I mean, but the Arab Spring was like a united movement. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it was, but it was... I will say the Arab Spring definitely, definitely... It was, it was it, progenitor it from the internet. And I still think it would have happened without access to the internet. That is Like, true. the participation of Twitter is vastly overblown. I, yeah. I would, I would say that the... It often idealized. The inclusion of Twitter made the Arab Spring as fast as it was the Arab Spring. But, but it still would have happened. There would have been a series of regional revolutions. Because I know, like, the structural errors would have permeated, like, more revolutions. But I do think that, like, the right, it's easier for the right to organize than the left because the left tend to, like, fracture. Fracture on, like, trivial subjects, yeah. like, who gets to fuck my mom and all that. <laughs> so, ecology then become because of this idea, uh, of intellectual warfare and whatnot. Uh, sounds like the nerdiest thing, intellectual warfare. Wow, a nerdy thing on this podcast? Shut up. Ecology is, is an we're important... We're nerdy, but we're not pretentious. Yes, you mean for yourself, Pretentious. Yeah. Uh, no, we, we made a mistake on that. Pretentious person. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're real... Uh, I've never been a person before. We're never going to get the sexual. She's not diverging. Thomas, you have like a group of boys whose pastime hobby is going off in tangents. And they're like, can we stop that weird thing? Like, just ask us to stop breathing. So, <laughs> stop breathing. <laughs> so, ecology is an important front in this war of ideas. And its, articula- and, it, and, and its articulation has, has shifted from ch- time to time. With the classic right e- ecology that we saw with Eliot and what he said about like how about those philosophical ideas in uh, the pre-war, uh, pre-World War II period. Um, however, and this also brings into the classical right-wing uh, idea of an emphasis on population and immigration. Uh, and and it's still there, uh, but with new ideological forms. And it's often explained as now part of an expanded political terrain, uh, both in real life and in, on the internet. So one of the main things I would like to talk about with, eco, with post-war ecofascism is the idea of overpopulation. Overpopulation is a classic theme for the ecological right, tracing its links all the way back to Thomas Malthus, um, in which he basically said, fuck the poor, um, and we should have population control by fucking over the poor. Uh, and it is advantageous uh, theoretical and rhetorical tool for the far right because it shifts responsibility for environmental problems away from questions of overconsumption or capitalism um, and then focuses instead on the sins of, un- of an undifferentiated, quote-unquote, humanity or racist anti-immigration arguments about the, the, profligacy, the profligacy... I don't know how to pronounce that. Profligacy. 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 What does that mean now? Uh, Consistent. I mean, I, I believe it's like uh, 
overwhelming abundance of something. Yes, these ba basically are wasteful. Yeah, yeah, wasteful and also like like breeding a lot. You know, like yeah, high population. Yeah, they tend yeah, they tend to target the groups that have high birth rates. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of non-Western cultures and peoples. I mean, and they they'll obsess over these ideas of like, oh, these people from these uh, underdeveloped countries have got the which are who are you know darker skin color they'll say like oh they're they have high birth rates and they're going to outbreed the white race this is where it gets into the idea of the great replacement and then when it talks about wasting resources though i mean this is uh, deeply backwards because people, exactly. you know, people who live in the type of countries that we do use resources at a far higher rate than you know some of exactly them, some of remedia despite the fact that they have you know billions of people yeah and they yeah. have and they often have billions of people and they have like high popular uh, high uh, population uh, numbers because of a thing called like a population demographic shift in which like you have like as a cult as a society advances uh, technologically over time you get things like you know uh plan family planning that's what it is family planning better medicine uh you know child labor rights uh, because and reduce birth rates and reduce birth it's, it's reduced birth rates because one it becomes more expensive to have a child two you don't need a child uh, to do labor on your farm or you don't need a child because like the other like three might die of like polio or something also, like that you, maybe you don't want the child because you would like to enjoy your rights outside yeah you, yeah you can do that too house, and, yeah. yeah and uh the advent of the social safety net in old age reduces the incentives for a lot of people to have children later on you, yeah you have, you have the additional benefit of now being able to rely on government assistance as well as you know communal assistance and you don't need necessarily need all your children to provide for you in old age yeah exactly but the right wing don't even look at it that way no. this is a, this is what's been a standard idea of like why you see declining birth rates in uh, developed countries like japan or germany or the united states and rising birth rates in places like you know bangladesh india, india. bangladesh actually has uh, it's decreasing birth it's rates, and yeah. it's decreasing because of this population transition because they have an amazingly successful industrial policy exactly and they've and they've been able to also uh massive create living standards massive rise and even even some labor rights exactly but they'll fo but then so like a better example would be like dr congo or uh south africa or even, or even uh, well south africa i think example. You also uh, i'm not sure yeah. But anyway, so it's basically, but yes, countries like Bangladesh are going down this path in which they are actually developing it. It's, it's a twin top topic. One, they're outbreeding the right, the white race, in which is viewed as an idea of habitat loss. That they, that these people are coming into these countries and you know as an invasive species almost, um, in which they're. Yeah, they're, which, they're real racist about it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's really, really. They, they, they view this, it just keeps getting worse. Yeah, yeah. no, they, they view this as an as, as an one as like pop, high population numbers mean that they're in, in, in coming. They, they view they see these high population numbers in their countries. Um, so when they come to Western countries or to the global North, they'll 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 they're they're like, oh my God, they're going to come in here and they're going to breed and they're going to and they're going to be an invasive species taking out everybody. This is literally what they say. I'm, I, I'm not in favor of this. This is literally I mean, what I'm saying. Right. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's also an idea that's like subscribed by a lot of average people. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, I mean, it's not like we shouldn't exclude it too far right now because a lot of people in Turkey, for example, are also like, oh, Syrians, they have, they're breeding, like not breeding. Their birth rates are like five times higher than ours. They yeah, replace us. Yes, and I think to go back, for example, you know, it's to, to make myself a victim very briefly, and to go back to you know old American history, right? You know, again, Catholics, right? Yeah, it's regarded literally as you know, quote unquote, breeding like rabbits. Yeah. So I think you have it, it's a consistent and it's a consistent and persistent stereotype throughout history about minority groups. But now the U.S. has a Catholic president. 
Upon the turntable. Yes. Yes, it's the Hibernian uh, conspiracy. Now, that's the actual conspiracy. Joe Biden is the conspiracy. I mean, this is great for me because I'm also part Irish. <laughs> so you're northern. Hey, 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 hey. I'm not. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm Anglican, not. Protestants. So you're Catholic. I, I'm, I, I thought you were Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Hey, we're, we're basically... But anyway, so... So basically... And and the other part of this large population uh, thing is that they're, you know, they're consuming a lot and they're wasting resources because obviously because they have such high populations. But they, Don't look at my plastic use. Exactly. But that's the thing is that these developed countries that these... Uh, that these what that these all writers come from, they're the ones who are actually uh, whose consumption leads to the exploitation of Earth more so than someone like living in like a, a shack in like Senegal or something like that. Yeah, but when you criticize their like eating habits and also like their fast fashion, they're like, oh my god, are you a commie? Yeah, yeah, and they're literally. screaming about bugs for some reason. Yeah, yeah, this is still a little bit fuzzy on the bugs, but it, sure it, it, it is. Just, it's, it's just this like weird. Yeah. A world economics thing. It's just like I don't understand it. I don't pay attention. I mean, to the it. World Economic Forum is crazy, cringe, but it's for based. other reasons, it's deeply. Klaus, Klaus Schwab is antichrist. No, he's based. You need to understand. He's amazing. This is a, this is a pro Klaus. You're, you're a, this is a bloke. This is all a pro Klaus Schwab podcast. And you're still on base. This is a pro Klaus. You're a normie and a beta male cuck. I am. I am. I am. I am ardent on this point. Condition. But despite all of this, um. And so they'll use the ideas one, the, this great replacement idea of of saying that it is population that that white pop low white births and high non white births is going to lead to as an it means that they're losing their habitat a white indigenism um, and that these people are invasive species or stuff like that, um, and that that they'll also include the idea of of deep ecology which is this idea that we mentioned previously that in humanity. So there's this idea in, in ecology that like we can either view the world as an anthropocentric one where like the world instead serves us, humanity, like we're the like one view of an anthropocentric environmentalist view is that humans are the stewards of environment, that we are the ones who are at the top and therefore we must take care of the environment. Deep ecologists will say, no, 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 that is putting us at a at a at a higher at a, at the top of the hierarchy. There is no hierarchy. We're kind of like this one with the rest of nature. And this goes and this goes back, you know, I'm, I'm now this is not to discredit anyone who's, you know, part of the new age group that would say things like this and, and not mean it in the in a racist way. Yeah. That also goes back to, you know, how the Nazis put it originally, right? They talked about this idea that, you know, that humanity must, you know, submit to the iron law of nature. Yes. And uh, the iron law of nature famously says uh, that if you don't like somebody, you do, uh, you know, uh, kill them in the most horrible way possible. Yes. Uh, and, and so, yeah, this this is sort of very, you know, uh, connected at least to two of these ecofascism. Yes. And one, and this goes to like the most modern um, ecofascist uh, theorist uh, that we've had. Um, his name is, he's from Finland actually. And he's a deep ecologist. Actually, Mr. Price. <laughs> really? Oh. oh, yeah, Finland, of course. Um, no, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, Finland I mean, and Finnish people are quite racist, but also, like, I'm not surprised a deep ecology philosopher came from fin that region fin of the world. Finland is beautiful and has a great deal of nature. Uh, I, I don't know where the racism part comes from, but I'm but excited said, to... They don't have all the reasons that Scandinavian countries do to be there, because Scandinavians are like, oh, we have Viking heritage, we're, like, Nordic. Yeah, but like Finnish people They're come not. from fucking Central Asia. Yeah, so, like, they might as well just be Mongolians, <laughs> <laughs> which is better. <laughs> yeah, 
Vikings, like they dug up Viking skeletons, found that a lot of them had like Southeast Asian DNA as well. Like the Vikings, well, like, they don't want to, they they don't yeah. want to learn that. Oh, language. sorry, sorry. Southeast Asian DNA. Yeah. How did because, that? Like, you're you're working on it, the logical on presumption just, that racists act on like facts and logic. Yeah, facts care about your feelings. <laughs> Did you know that he ranked the U.S. presidents and he put like FDR at D tier? I hate that guy. Oh, terrible. I hate that guy. But anyway, so this, so this guy who was his most recent, who was a recent uh, deep ecologist and also an ornithologist, is a guy named Penty Lincola, who I mentioned previously. He was born in 1932 and died recently, actually in in 2020. Um. He, well, that's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, very I'm unfortunate. <laughs> so he, I think he'll need it, dude. He is he he like most deep ecologists um, views that like you know we are part of society, we are part of nature, we're not above it. Part of Just just say just put the. Put I'm Jerry Leto, and I'm a deep ecologist. <laughs> 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 but unlike, but unlike most deep, but the one of the main problems with deep ecology is that it gets a very negative, and also some environmentalists that they get a very negative view on humanity. I can't imagine why. And but he was particularly uh, anti-human. He blamed hum- He he. This this guy is basically Finnish Thanos. I'm going to get to that. He blamed humans for the continuous degradation of the environment. He promoted... And he, I was just thinking, finish Thanos. He's going to snap his finger and, and there's going to be salted licorice in half the world's mouth. It's going to be... A world peace will be achieved. It's delicious. I hate to break it to you guys, but it gets worse. Oh, she, the people said, I knew a thing. He promoted rapid population decline oh, to God. combat the problems con- uh, commonly attributed with o- overpopulation. But is it discriminatory or indiscriminate? Well, I'm going to get to that. I suspect it's not going to kill on. a lot of people. Guys, yeah, well, see. <laughs> uh, but he believed that democracy was a mistake and preferred, uh, di- preferred dictatorship. <laughs> and, oh my God, <laughs> and only radical change can prevent ecological collapse. He contended that human populations of the world, regardless if they were developed or not, do not deserve to survive at the expense of the biosphere. And this is where it gets to Thanos. He said, quote, If there were a button I could press, I would sacrifice myself without hesitating, if it meant that millions of people would die. I mean, that's what Chris Phillips said. He said that he wanted to reincarnate as a disease. So he would kill millions of people and solve the environmental problems. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked. <laughs> he supported terrorists like the Bauder Meinhof gang and the and the Al Qaeda terrorist attack of in 2004 in the, in the Madrid train bombings, and he viewed them as a disruption to a society that is responsible for the degradation of the earth. When asked in 2007 why he himself did not become a terrorist, he said. He lacked the ability and bravery, which I mean, fair. I mean, hey, he's an intellectual. He's going to be honest. It's not like one of these people that LARPs. I mean, he's not a LARPer. I think 
intellectual so strong word for a guy who thinks that like bombing a subway with innocent people is good because it's like a disruption well hey people if you can write a book and you get you get publicity from it you're basically an intellectual it just seems like a really like and i mean intellectuals don't need to have positive impact on the strong word though and he simple and dumb thesis and, and he uh was pleased to actually see the rise of greta thunberg thunberg um and and this is where i get my uh Palpatine on, and you, young Skywalker, you will watch your career with great interest. <laughs> uh, he said he's pleased to see uh, see someone like her, and he, he looks forward to uh, seeing what progress she can make. I can't believe I wasn't expecting how the sentence would go. I was expecting more like, I, I think she's good, but what you really need to do is go to Spain with a bomb. And swim. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Oh, the Spanish. <laughs> See, I did know which is one. Because I don't like Greta. Dude, she's nice. She's, uh, I don't I think she's... Performative activist. She's a kid. She's a kid. I don't, I don't really give a shit. I think she's, she's done a good job at sort of like, uh, for what it's worth, there's a good article in Politico about this. She's done a good job at sort of pruning the performativism from Fridays for Future and sort of tuning it more into an actual... Uh, you know, an actual group more dedicated to fighting the real effects. Of I don't know. I mean, Friday for the Future is like, and like most ecologist groups, including like I used to be, I, I temporarily for like I guess like a week with uh, Extinction Rebellion. But see, they're they're just cringe. Well, I mean, at least they're better than Greenpeace. Well, yeah, no, well, that's well Greenpeace, too, yeah. Green, Greenpeace actually does more radical shit than, than XR. Do you want XR? Do you know what the most radical shit XR does? They tie themselves up along a road. Yeah, they like they they protest on the road like exactly, a lot of traffic, and, yeah. and this is and this is and this is like very performative. And I'm like, okay, well, look, this is this is like I I I went to one of their meetings, and I'm like, okay, it's like what's well, their strategy? And they're just like, oh, we're just gonna protest like these workshops and stuff like that, and it's basically all this like hippy dippy shit. Wow, well, the environmentalists are hippy dippy. <laughs> <laughs> Environmentalists basically claim the zero scientific foundations. What? What are you talking about? Green, green, about? Greenpeace is against GMOs. Yeah, yeah, oh, wait, what? Oh, oh, oh. oh I didn't hear about that. Against, they're also against nuclear reactors and think renewable energy is the way to go. The, most, of our po- most of our listeners are from Europe, so this is going to be very divisive. Which is great for us. It's unfortunate. I want discussion to happen. Yeah. I, I think I'm generally in support of green politics and those types of parties, but, you know, the whole Extinction Rebellion thing, the whole plan of like, see what we'll do to get people on our side is, you know, we'll make people's lives as obnoxious as possible. Yeah. I think if, if they have one thing in common with the eco-fascists is that they both make no goddamn sense and are going to be opposed. Well, I mean, I think I mean, that does Greenpeace. Greenpeace stopped being based after the French I, bombarded I Rainbow I am not Force. endorsing Greenpeace. No, really? I mean, I'm so, like, because Greenpeace is like the first environmental movement that comes to mind, you know? Yeah. We're gonna raise awareness. We're gonna. You need to post five Instagram infographics. Jesus Christ! I hate whenever one says like raise awareness. It's like it's just like oh, we're gonna raise awareness for X, Y, and Z. It's like everyone fucking knows about it. We're gonna raise awareness about Saudi Arabia bombing Yemen. I'm gonna say something that's a little. I mean, hey, I mean, like, not a lot of people know that. I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial on a on a podcast that is more controversial. Take coming, incoming, incoming. But I think, again, if we're talking about, because ecofascism is, is going to be undoubtedly related to environmentalism more generally. No yeah. shit. <laughs> these, these different groups. You know, when it comes to the sensible environmentalists, as in the non-fascist ones, so many of them are way too focused on these actions that, you know, won't do anything. Yeah, exactly. If it's, and no, that's fair. I, I will, I'm including most direct action, you know, ideas in that. I think if, yeah. they, if they were more serious, 
they would be focused on, you know, lobbying actual institutional change. And yeah, I have to they, they don't do frustration of action. They, 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 they're just like, oh, we need to prevent climate change and like the world being destroyed. Okay, yeah, we all agree, but how? There's, there's only like real is through politics. But yeah, I mean, I would, I would go so far as to say the only real way is through politics. I mean, yeah. And, and it's like X and it's XR is just like, oh, we don't basically what they do is that they don't they say, oh, we don't do politics. We, we we don't. And I'm like, OK, what parties are we aligned to? I mean, I get it for some groups like a trade union, like my labor union. We don't engage with pop. We don't engage with parties, which I mean, makes sense. But we actually do stuff rather than like we have more capabilities of like what the union does. But anyway, climate change, we did a defining issue of our time, the defining challenge. And so many people are obsessed with making themselves look good. So yeah. they don't feel aligned with the actual politics that will fix it. Exactly. And yeah. That's the thing with like world climate day. People go out in the streets for like one day every year, protest and go back to their houses. Yeah. Day. But then the politicians are like, okay, I'm going to go to work. And I think, I think you also need to, you know, Protests are good for, you know, getting getting news headlines, for getting the beginning of social traction. But awareness is only the the very first step. You need to generate an actual political movement. Yeah, and it like, is happening with climate change, but just way too slowly. To yeah, and, and like in most of so these, so, so we need to work. The doom. I think I think it's too late anyway. I mean. I mean, look. Yeah, I'm not that pessimistic. I'm like, you know how pessimistic I am. Yeah, yeah I know. But look, I. I, I we work on yeah. How we not? How we don't work at it is ecofascism. Yes. Let's go back to these. And so, movies. one of these ideas that they also had, just finishing up with Linkola. I remember, remember that guy a long time ago. Uh, remember the Finnish Jew? He and this guy, big fan of Bong Madrid for some reason. <laughs> he and this other guy named Hardine, Hardine, Hard, Harden. Whatever. Hard on. Hard on. So, uh, a basketball so, so, so Lincoln Cola and, and Hard on, uh, both supported this idea called lifeboat ethics. What is lifeboat ethics, you may ask? You no, know, so like the European understanding of lifeboats where you like send them back to Libya? Worse. Oh, it is basically imagine you ha you're on a lifeboat and the people from the boat that is sinking are swimming in the water, the ice cold water, let's say it's the Titanic, and they're trying to climb on. And the idea is that the more people that climb onto this like raft, the more likely it's gonna like sink. Oh. So what do you do? You get a fucking axe and you cut their hands off and kill them. Oh, it's racist. Yeah. Look at everything else in this damn world. Well, what eco fascists are racist. So, so that is one of like the main ideological ideas of eco fascism. So, how is it done in practice in these groups? Well, thankfully for us, there actually have been uh, some eco-fascist groups that actually start off as leftists, and they were actually, for a time, crypto-eco-fascists. I never thought I would believe I would say that. As in, as in crypto is in their, their like, you know, under, undercover? They're implicitly racist. Imagine that. They're implicitly racist. And also and, big believers. Like, yeah, Bitcoin will save the environment, guys. Fiat currency, that's the real problem. <laughs> <laughs> Paper needs trees. Yeah, more petrodollars, man. But still, you know, point stands. Yeah. So one of these groups uh, was was an radical environmentalist and eco sabotage group um, in the 1980s. So I don't know if there's when did Greenpeace come out? Was that the 80s or 70s? 70s. 70s. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Rainbow Warrior was bombed by the French Secret Service in the 70s. Holy shit! I didn't know about that. So one group uh, that was Rose of this was called Earth First. Exclamation mark. Um, the group was criticized for espousing racist, sexist, anti-immigration, and pro-HIV positions. Pro-HIV? Pro yeah, it's basically let them get HIV. That's oh. terrible. Yeah. So the, the Ronald Reagan strategy. Yes, exactly. Literally. But ultimately, 
and I guess maybe thankfully, the right wing of the group led by a guy named Dave Foreman sounds like a big, like like Foreman. Yeah, Foreman. Foreman into racism. Like George Foreman. No, it's just how – for a second, I was I was going to make a joke about how that this guy sounds like a lot like a porn star. But anyway, uh, a gay porn star, actually. So Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, everybody. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> You've been the plural. That's not the singular. Yes. Yeah. So, so they split uh, with the group in order to focus on wilderness protection, and his group oppose humanist ideologies like feminism and anarchism and Earth First! Exclamation mark. Um, and one of this one of these guys is basically, uh, I think he was part of it. His name was Edward Abbey. Basically, said that a mass influx of culturally, morally, genetically impoverished people are coming into these countries. Genetically impoverished. Just- I never thought I'd say that. Thing words since yeah, that's yeah. oh wow, goodness. Yes, they really, they really don't try too hard to hide it. I mean, I don't know how, how crypto eco fascist that is. That's pretty uh, pretty on the nose. There is also another trend within eco fascism. There's many like sub ideologies within this sub ideology, so sub sub ideologies. Basically, there's this idea of ethno pluralism and right wing bioregionalism. Now, this is fascinating. So. The main goal of any white na- any good old white nationalist is to create a white homeland. <laughs> any any white na- any white nationalist worth their salt. D- 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 so gender pronouns for the white nationalists. Exactly. Exactly. Creation of 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 a, their, their goal is to create a white homeland and realize David Lang's fourteen words, which I'm not going to say. Um, Thank you. Which are the res- and 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 the resurrection of blood and soil politics that oh, echoes the quote unquote love and land militant racist nationalism. We go we go full circle exactly. And 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 many contemporary uh, far right groups have done this thing and where they try to actually use uh, where they try to actually trade uh, white supremacist blatant white supremacist language for ethnic pluralism in which different groups. In this idea of ethnopluralism, in which is different groups live separate but equal. Oh, so segregation. Yeah. So, what they do? Is so, it worse? in a way. Okay. So the alt right, the current alt right, actually rejects a lot of the traditional nationalism that arose uh, prior to World War II. Um, and I remember, like, within we talked about this in like episode two uh, of of national yeah. Bolshevism. Instead of instead. White nationalism in the far right is no longer just like particularly like for one nation like France or Germany or America. It is actually like a pan white world, the whole white race worldwide. The whole Aryan race. Oh, God, you can only say that. Um, and rejection of re- national, traditional nationalism in the state in favor of regional, in some cases, of regionalism and decentralism, tribalism and bioregionalism. And the last one is That's a very so intricate one. Yes, it is. So welcome to this podcast. Welcome to this podcast, the Ism Podcast. That's actually a pretty good name. Yeah, that would be a better name. Maybe. I did like to call the Ism Podcast. Ism means name and truth. No, because oh yeah, because I was thinking you, you'd probably you'd probably get a lot of people who are into the Institute for Supply Management. <laughs> that's our that's our main great. Hey everybody, change baby. I love those and, supply and chains. Like oh man, I, I'm a big fan of the world's largest and oldest supply management organization. <laughs> I cannot wait to oh my god, they're talking about the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> so bioregionalism basically is this idea that advocates living in decentralized communities corresponding to bioregions rather than artificial borders where we're one with the nature that we live in and this concept is 
However, this concept is open to nationalist interpretations and, and contains the seeds for exclusion. This brings us to Exhibit A, uh, of a region where this ideology basically sprouted from. The Pacific Northwest, a.k.a. Cascadia, is an area roughly including the American states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho for some reason, and the Canadian province of British Columbia. The area is well known for its studying mountain ranges, its temperate rainforests and redwoods, its crustiest hippies you'll find north of California. They and southern hippies are the worst, actually. Anyway, this is what most people come, what people think of that comes to mind in Cascadia, the haven environmentalists, hikers, liberals, and anarchists uh, that smell like weed and probably eat weed. I mean, it recently got legalized, man. Let them enjoy it. Yeah, man. Ah, oh, it's good shit. Have you heard about this idea of bioregionalism? Uh, it's on this podcast yeah. where I make my craft beer. <laughs> Take a sip of some craft beer. Living it up. And craft like, IPA beer. Craft IPA beer on your, like, fixie Forcing bike. Forcing yourself not to retch after taking one sip. And then and someone's you, like, oh, wait, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm from New England, man. Those are fighting words. You know what IPAs? The IPAs are kind of cringe, we're not going to lie. You're, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry that you have terrible beer taste. The, um, yeah, no, I'm just I'm really enjoying the yeah, like, I like an I like a nice blonde. Anyway, this, this is, like, the stereotype of the major cities... Uh, of Cascadia, of like the of the temperate rainforest with the redwoods and blah blah blah. Seattle, Portland, and Vancouver, crusty cities and full of anarchists, full of Antifa. Yeah, what does Seattle have like an independent anarchist zone? Yeah, Cas, Cas, Cas. However, this is a misconception. The whole of the whole region, because outside these major cities, you'll find most racist fucking people at at least in these states. We should take a shot every time someone says racist in this episode. This is- we'll be dead. The notion of Cascadia actually came from, as a political entity and a political ideology, came from this popularized uh, 1975 utopian novel called Ecotopia, written by a guy named Ernst Kallenbach. Now, this is one that actually based in cool guys. Based? The only one of few people in this episode. This is the only time, so enjoy, people. He depicts a breakaway a- eco-community and was informed by the emergent ecology movement and the new the new left in counterculture and the back-to-land movement that was arising back during the 70s. The book describes a largely progressive environmental utopia um, in which people from, you know, everyone lives together in, these, in, the, in this, like, environmental, like, you know, Garden of Eden, basically. Yet it hints at problems of nationalism and identity in Ecotopia's borders. Um, are border uh, since the borders are guarded against outsiders, and there's voluntary ethnic separatism, which is a norm. Ecotopia is actually the so Ecotopia is the idealized goal of Cascadia, much like uh, Gulf Skulls is the goal of libertarians and crypto bros. Um, like and and like with environmentalism, the movement is predominantly white, since that area is predominantly white. Um. And gives oppor- and this gives the opportunity for the right to swoop on in and give their goal of white separatism uh, uh, and bi- uh, bioregionalism and declaring themselves as European indigenous, which is very ironic for someone who is in the, in North America. Yeah, that's something you can. I mean, it, it's. I mean, it'd be bad for you to say it. It'd be weird and bad for you to say it here in Europe. It, it'd be a little weird to say it in Europe. It'd be weird to say it in Europe. But if you say in America, that means like whole like it has a lot of implications. It has a lot of implications. It's like, oh yes, I'm an indigenous here. It's like, 
What are you talking about? Bro? What do you mean, Native Americans? What do you, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, Manifest Destiny? This discourse of indigeneity, like we were saying before, which pe- they view the white people as, like, you know, this indigenous species that's being uh, taken out by this invasive species, also goes in with decolonization for some reason. Because it's taken up uh, the far right's bec- this indigeneity and decolonization, this idea that, like, you know, we shouldn't uh, col- colonize indigenous peoples, and they'll say, yes, we're being colonized by refugees and migrants. It's literally what they'll say. Uh, yeah, there's something. They're, they'll use that same rhetoric. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. Yeah. So the idea of indigenism, basically of indigenous peoples, having their own autonomy and whatnot, mainly you would apply that to someone, to a tribe living like the Amazons or in parts of uh, Sub-Sahara- Sub-Saharan Africa or whatnot. And however, this is also gives itself to the right because it valorizes uh, a place, identity, suspicion of modernity, valorization of traditional ways of life, and the transcendence of the left-right spectrum. So any anytime you hear someone says it's above, it's not left or right, it's right. As yeah, in right wing. Yeah, basically. However, alt-right Cascadians would actually exist with, with indigenous tribes. This gets to the ethnopluralist idea. Now I turn you to our attention to Exhibit B, Vince Reinhardt. A member of the of the I'm gonna pronounce this wrong, so please forgive me. The the, the Tlingit uh, tribe, um, and is an advocate for tribal anarchism, wherein different tribes, not necessarily but potentially racial in nature, unite to bring down the U.S. government and corporations. Then white settlers can create their own bioregional tribes, which allied together against colonialism and imperialism and the repatriation of indigenous land, which coincides with bioregionalism and ethnopluralism. White settlers allied against colonialism. Yeah. That sounds... Uh, they con- it sounds contradicting. Yes, this is where we get. This is no longer the realm of the horse of of the of, the, of horseshoe theory. It is the realm of the Ouroboros theory or the uh, non-Euclidean theory of politics. Oh, interesting. Where everything folds into each other and the non-Euclidean. It's like a snake that consumes itself. See, when when we were talking about the non-Euclidean theory of politics, I was thinking about the one that wasn't determined by uh, by by boxes. So normal politics, where you don't have the uh, the political compass, but um, but apparently it's just it is it is it's worse. It, it's it's worse because everything oh, just no. melds into each other. How do you get worse than the political compass? It, well, it, it's not. By it's beyond the really political. Really oh, right, I, I like they it. tried really hard. Yes. It, it, they they use they use a three D model, took oh. some acid, and well, actually no, they they they, t- they basically just took some acid and stared at at. at uh, r slash a political compass memes for hours and this is how you get non-euclidean politics i'm happy when i smoke weed or like take mushrooms i don't think like these motherfuckers and i actually have pleasant thoughts they stared at what political compass memes r slash political compass memes reddit oh you wouldn't know that because he's because he unlike he is untainted he is a he yeah, an innocent Twitter. He's an oh. famously for being a pure website. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nothing no. bad happens. Yeah, we have it. We we can follow us on our Twitter too. It's down in the description. So this language of post-colonialism and left-wing indigenism is deployed by the far right in terms of defending indigenous Europeans from colonization by alien cultures. This line of thinking exists both in white settler nations such as the United States of America, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa, but also in Europe, 
Speaking of Europe, there has recently been a presidential election in France with Holly and I, we covered in a different podcast. And you can check that out in the description as yeah, well. Oh, kind of did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we actually went to the city of Lille and interviewed 90 people, 92 people actually, yes. um, oh. about what issues were important for them and what they were voting for. One of those candidates was a certain Marine Le Pen, who was the leader of the national, uh, national rally, uh, the far right national rally, who attacked the quote unquote nomadic people uh, like immigrants uh, because they don't care about the environment and have no homeland. Yikes. And her advisor, Herve Juvin, uh, spoke of the need to reclaim Europe for its, quote, indigenous people on our land, in our countries, with our traditions. That is something. Yep, that is something. And this is where we get into the the darker side of of ecofascism. Wait, we were the on the light, side, the light we, side. We were on the lighter side. This I talked about Nazis. This is look, you, you, you okay. had to quote we're, Heinrich Himmler, and you're telling me that that was the that yeah, was the damn know. light side. Okay. No, 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 sorry. So do these clowns and Nazis look like Red Cross? Right. Let me, let me, where let me. Where are we going, Thomas? Let me be. That's how this so, so for is this just the introduction? I, I had to do all that research. I had to stare into the abyss, and you're telling me that was the light side. This so that we went, we went, so we were, we started in the abyss. We went to a kind of like a a a, 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 a slightly what are you going to do? R slash political compass. Yes, yeah. not recommended. No, <laughs> I, 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 I am. We stop the salary. I'm still listening. I'm still listening. I was on this website and I'm now looking through it and it looks not funny. So, yes. So we went, so we started in the dark void of Nazi Germany. We went to kind of, uh, and and we started the light side pre Nazi Germany. Okay. Kind of like light. Light is a very relative time. It's more like a gray. You don't like function on binary terms between light and dark, you know? Confessions, so all the moments that aren't tangents are like pretty. Well, we were talking about. So you started off with the intellectual one, then we went into more quote unquote the practical one, intellectual one of not Jewish people. It's a very, it's a very, very versatile. Well, it's more so that that that's intellectual. Yes. So it's intellectual. Then you have action, and then you have intellectual again. Now we're getting to action. You have intellectual action. I don't think there's intellectual action involved with these people. It's just, yeah, I nerd with a machine gun. Hey, Karl Marx said in this chapter of Das Kapital, bing, 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 bing. Das Kapital. I love America. <laughs> I am going to know. <laughs> I am going to live despite the odds. So, basically, this is where we get into tactical accelerationist ecofascism. These are the kind of people that so tactical acceler- accelerationism is a misunderstood word because there's also political philosophy behind it. So I'm specifically looking at tactical accelerationism. Tactical accelerationism is is the very is a specific one in which like the goal of accelerationism is to achieve your political means by accelerating the conditions in which they'll come about. So for example. You're an internet Marxist, and you want a socialist revolution in the United States. How are you going to do that? You want this situation to get so bad that people will be like, fuck it, let's do revolution. How do you do that? By voting for people that would increase the contradictions of capitalism, such as Donald Trump. I can see no way in which that can go wrong. 
Yeah. <laughs> they don't consider that part. Like, like, again, you know, I had to spend way too much time reading about Nazis. I mean, Ernst Thälmann's, like, um, like, after Hitler, our turn quote. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, no. I mean, has no one ever thought that this could go badly? And I, mean, I can tell you, Ernst Thälmann did not, you know, die on Ernst Thälmann Island, you know, in Cuba. <laughs> and died somewhere way worse. Yeah. Germany? And with, with, with a lot, and he brought a lot of people with him. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this is the idea of tactical accelerationism. And, or in some ways, it's not just simply making this, this, the, the, the government make things worse. It's often making things worse so other things can get bad. So, how do, how does this apply to ecological uh, eco fascists? So, very bad. So, these eco extremists. Um, as they've been called by terrorist studies. So one of their ideologies is that it's also like state corporate nexus uh, deploys violence against nature, a natural world by design. And in turn, they are often anti-capitalist, environmental, and other uh, ecological movements, but also fucking racist. So one of the ideas of this is basically stirring up a civil war in which a far right can then utilize as an advantage to do a race war. Okay. So one example was done by a fascist paramilitary group called the base. The now, base. Oh yeah, the literal English. No, not Qaeda. Not yeah, yeah. Literally, they, yes. they they're inspired by Al Qaeda. Yeah. And one of their cells that was in Canada sought to derail trains. Poison water supplies and open fire on gun rallies and the, the intention of starting a civil war. This, or in the context of COVID, one user declared on a Telegram post, quote, in quarantine areas, electricity is, high, is the highest priority. If someone were to target a station, I'm certain there would be riots. This is a kind of praxis in which, like, of, like Operation Mayhem from Fight Club, this, this idea of sowing chaos in order to arise from that chaos and take power is something that is promoted actually on everything from Instagram, Telegram, Twitter, and iFunny of of all places. Let's sit down and talk about the iFunny watermark. Yes. And these guys are also influenced by uh, a certain guy called the Unabomber or Theodore Kaczynski, everyone's fim- favorite primitivist domestic terrorist. And, and I want to address like the elephant in the room. A lot of people say he's an eco-fascist. He is not. Yeah. He does not. He is not in favor of fascism. I was going to ask that. Yeah, yes, he's... he is not an eco-fascist, but he's a racist and a misogynist. And he basically is the manifesto of the industrial society in its future. Is a diffusion of like le- neo-Luddic ideology, and he's also very anti-left wing as well. Um, Even though he is an anarchist, he's not an anarchist. Anarcho-primitivist? No, he's just a no. He's just a primitivist. Oh. Um. So there's and so like so to wrap this all up, there's other groups uh, of eco-fascists around the world, such as the Green Brigade, an international eco-fascist organization. Um. And and a funny thing about this Green Brigade uh, is that they are, have connections to the Atomwaffen Division, the oh, Misanthropic okay. Division, and our favorite divi- battalion, the Azov Battalion. Yes, they're they're pretty much all dead now. Yes, or captured. The base opportunity opportunistically works with what we previously talked about: Earth First, exclamation mark, and the Earth Liberation Front on single issues. So, but the thing about these eco-fascists, uh plot, if they're larger than, like, two people, 
they basically get infiltrated by the feds and they never come to a fruition. Didn't uh, didn't Adam Buffen, uh, it was either Adam Buffen or the base kill something like, killed something like 18 people actually. Yeah, I think so. But I think most of it was infighting. Yeah, really? Holy yeah, shit. I think so. That's funny. They say, but they say the right doesn't do infighting. So, unfortunately, in a case in which they did kill, eco-fascists were successful in doing some of their work has been in the case of both the El Paso and Buffalo shooters. Both of them view themselves as white nationalists and had the Buffalo shooter was uh, explicitly eco-fascist in their rhetoric. And he called himself an eco-fascist. This gets into the idea of the Great Replacement Theory. And one in quoting the Christchurch shooter, quote, the environment is being destroyed by overpopulation. We Europeans are the only group that is that are not overpopulating the world. The invaders are the ones overpopulating the world. Kill the invaders, kill the overpopulation, and by doing so, save the environment. Quick question for the Christchurch shooter. Yes. Did he look at the? Did you? Did he ever look at the ethnic makeup of New Zealand and wonder if Europeans are not the ones overpopulating the world? Because, I don't think he would. Because I wonder that. if there's a reason why <laughs> New Zealand and Australia and America. In Canada, lots of other places are, you know, have a lot of European descent. Yeah. I wonder if, if Europeans did have a role in that. Whole and even then, it doesn't, overpopulation doesn't mean diddly squat no, if you're, no, if, if, if you're just, yeah, it's exactly. resource use. And, and that's also done by Europeans and their descendants. Yeah, yes, literally, literally, literally. So it, it flips on its head this idea that is, that, that, oh no, that, uh, the idea that, uh, of like instead of uh, of people where they blame like the West for like you know environmental destruction, they'll blame the developing world for environmental destruction because of population explo- explosion or whatever. So this ideology, we make fun of this ideology um, mainly because we want to ridicule it. We want to show how stupid and incoherent, incoherent and nonsensical and batshit insane it is. We don't want to make, we're not making light of it as just some weird ideology created by teenagers on the internet. This ideology, many hateful ideologies like it have had actual impact and have affected and ended the lives of many innocent people. So that is, we want to end this podcast on like a serious note, mainly because of how serious this issue is. The main idea of this is that we want people to, to show that one, our our podcast will always will always is and always will be anti-fascist. We oppose ideologies that seek to destroy the lives of innocent people and make life worse for the rest of humanity. So, with that, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast and thank you again to Elliot for coming on for Hello. this very dark <laughs> and bad podcast. For this, I think you know if, if every time we hang out we talk about uh, eco-fascism and, and uh, you know the Nazis, uh, I'm going to find new friends. <laughs> well, uh, anything else? Any closing thoughts, Aaron? Uh, I agree with everything you said, Thomas. I do not have any other original thoughts to add up to your beautiful conclusion. Why? Thank you. Uh, I would also like to reiterate uh, that fascism is bad, and that uh, fascism bad actually. Like, yeah, I mean, this is really a. Bold it is the take. podcast of the hot takes. Yeah. yeah. Surpri- surprisingly, that actually that's not a joke. It is a bold take in some situations. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, it but, is. Well, anyway, with that, thank you for coming on, it's everybody. A pleasure.
It's a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. pleasure as always. And well, and we're going to be making because it's the summer. We're going to be making more episodes, and we'll be bringing you better content, more content. Uh, we're going to have more interviews with other podcasts. We're gonna. It's we're gonna. This it, is go time, baby. It's go time. Ideological obscura. We're going to hit our stride. We've already. Thanks to you guys, we've already hit over. Uh, we're nearly at three hundred views by the by this uh, episode, which will come out soon. Um, and we want to thank you all from all over the world. Deepest thanks from our hearts. And tune in next time. See you around. Bye-bye. Haley, could you also give me a glass of water, please? A glass of water? A glass of water.